Welcome, everyone, to the Global Engagement Insights Podcast. I'm Steve McDonald, your host. And today, we've got a really special guest. We've got Allison Nodge here from American University. Well, Allison, you are the Associate Director. You oversee all the study abroad and the inbound programs for international education. You've been doing this for about 18 years. And the reason why this is so incredible is you've been a huge participant in growing from maybe four different programs abroad to over 100 different programs, over 60% participation from students in the international education program. It's a number one reason why people are coming to the university. You're proving the point that international education should be a top priority for higher education. If you wouldn't mind just giving a little bit more about your background, and then we'll start asking some questions about what you're doing. Sure. I definitely earn one of the awards for most jobs held in the study abroad office at American University. I started as our French administrative assistant. I've worked my way up through being an advisor for incoming international students, then assistant director, associate director, and now I manage our overall operations and incoming student program. In addition to that, I had brief stints where I taught English abroad. So I had some experience in teaching English and also in the International Students and Scholar Services Office. So I have a little bit more hands-on experience with F and J visas. Fantastic. I want to ask right away is when you came there, there was four or five different programs. It was rather small. And now it's yeah. over 100 programs you're offering that incredible 60 plus percent student participation. Can you just tell us a little bit about then and now what that offering really is now? I will say that I started on the cusp when things were getting starting to change. There was a big transition in our office in 2000. We got a new director at that time, and uh, she was very instrumental into setting up like the framework to help us build what we are today. When I started in 2005, we had probably about a handful of programs. But when we talk about year 2000, we had about 15 programs and it was called the World Capitals Programs, primarily in capital cities, primarily more cohort-based programs. But with Dr. Sarah Dumont, who came into our office in 2004, she really laid the framework for focusing more on directed role and sending students to be embedded in programs abroad versus going as a cohort to a specific location. We still do have some cohort programs, but the majority of our programs are now directly enrolled. Even back in world capitals, we were known for study abroad. But I think with the direct enroll approach, with allowing students to go and pick from course offerings that different universities, that's expanded the capacity of what students can study. It's made study abroad more attainable for more majors on campus. And that has been our primary focus in terms of making sure that there's an option for every student who wants to go abroad. I know there's some things that you went over that were important in getting such adoption here and giving self-directing from the students and picking their locations, but you've created these programs very carefully. And the credits that they're earning directly go to the majors that they're obtaining. And you said that the overall, the tuition that they pay doesn't change, right? It's a part of the tuition, so it doesn't necessarily cost them money to go study abroad. The risks, the financial roadblocks in order to get this done. What are some of the other things that you think are the reasons why you've had such success? When we boil it down, 
three key points. When we're talking to students about study abroad at American University, the big things that we want to make sure everyone understands that we have cultivated a program list. We're very careful, like you said, in terms of who we partner with, and we want to make sure that they are contributing academic value for our students so that students can go abroad and continue their major course of study and earn credit to keep them on track to graduate on time. This is not a semester off. This is a study abroad semester. The second big thing is that we want to make sure that study abroad is attainable for everyone. In addition to making sure that there are academic options for every major, we want to make sure that any student can afford to be abroad. When we are building out our programs, we want to make sure that if you can afford to be at American University for a semester, you can afford to study abroad. All the courses that students take abroad go on their official AU academic record. They're registered as AU students for that semester that they're studying abroad. They're eligible for their entire financial aid package, except for work study when they study abroad. And in terms of all the programs that we've cultivated, 50% of our programs are equal to or less than the cost of attendance for a semester at AU. We do have programs that cost more money. And if you want to go to London, you're probably going to have to pay more money. But if you are open to where you want to go and you just want to be able to continue your academic study, there is an academic option for you to study abroad. The third thing is, and just reiterating, because we don't want to ever lose sight of this because academics is the key to our study abroad experience. This is very critical to how we think about study abroad. We make sure that there are avenues and pathways for every major to be able to study. Those are the key things when we're talking with potential students at fairs or when we're having students come in to initially ask, is study abroad possible for me? Those are the three things we always want to hear. I know you place a, a really big emphasis on communication and making sure that there's a complete understanding of the programs and what it takes and, and how easy it is to, to attain. So you have a, a one-on-one -on -one meeting with mm -hmm. students to make sure that they are very clear. It's not just you're going to sign up and there's going to be some forms and you're going to get sent some information, but you really take an active participation in that. Can you tell us a little bit about that meeting and then tell us about how does that direct communication, how does that extend throughout their experience and when they are traveling abroad and study? Sure. Yes. We definitely have implemented a model where to open a study abroad application, students have to meet with the advisor for that program. And that's so that we can make sure that we have gone over critical information about that program, about how do you look at the courses? How do you find out what courses you can take and how they're going to meet academic requirements for you to study abroad? We definitely go over budget sheets in every advising session so that we're very transparent about what this program is going to cost, what is going to go on the AU bill, how is your financial aid going to apply, and then what are the other costs that you have to think about. And then just giving them a brief overview of the location. So they have this idea in their head of what this location might be. Is it a realistic expectation? And we also ask them questions about what do you want to study? Is this program going to offer you those opportunities? What kind of goals do you have for yourself in terms of integrating into the local culture? Is that realistic? If a student comes to us and says, I want a homestay option where I'm living, but that's not an option at their program, is this going to be the program for them? Or how important is that homestay 
opportunities. We definitely talk through all those critical points in each advising session. And at the end of that advising session, are there hesitations left or is the goal to say, look, it's here for you. It's attainable. You can do this and it can meet all of your goals and you're going to be safe. We're going to be in communication with you. Is the goal to not only communicate, yes, you can do this. We're here by your side but also that we're going to hold your hand through this process. I definitely think that we really want to empower students through this process. We want to show them where information is. We want to show them the wealth of information that there is, and we want them to make informed choices. Sometimes it is very straightforward. Students come in, they have a program in mind, you talk to them about that program. It sounds like the fit that they want. And we are ready to open an application for that program. Sometimes we have students coming in and they're like, I'm trying to figure out. I don't know where to start. I want to know what my options are. And if I'm talking to a student like that, I don't want to open an op application for them because I want them to do some more research and feel more confident in their decision that they're picking the best program that's right for them. And we're just one piece of that advising. We can talk to them about the programs. We can talk to them about what courses are offered there, what services there are, but they still need to involve their academic advisors to make sure that, you know, what they're hoping to take abroad is actually going to keep them on track to graduate. Yeah, it's just what's bringing up the, the takeaway is that you're just playing the role of their advocate. And what's interesting about that is there's two forms of advocacy that you have to be a constant advocate within the university and garnering strategic budgets and resources and things like that. But what I'm taking away from this is that you've got a very defined goal and strategic initiative to be that advocate. And I know that even extends to when they are studying abroad and you have emergency communication programs and systems set up. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Once they open the application, they make a decision, and now they're studying abroad, how does that advocacy translate to where they are in location? We definitely reinforce open lines of communication. If there is a problem, usually when they're on site, we want them contacting the on-site contacts. We're constantly reinforcing that we are a piece of this study abroad process, but there is going to be a piece of where you're on site in terms of response times, in terms of who can best help you. At that point, once they're abroad, we're often just a liaison. And it's more impactful if the student is reaching out and communicating with on-site contacts. Now, of course, in case of an emergency, we do have a system where all students register in this system prior to going abroad. It tracks them based on their itinerary and we get notifications if there are critical issues or situational crises that come up within a certain radius of where the student is located. We also work very closely with our Office of Risk Management in terms of preparing our pre-departure materials, in terms of what crisis resources are available to students prior, that they should have that information prior to going abroad so that they can utilize it if they're on site. And they'll also, that Office of Risk Management will be in constant communication with us because they're monitoring what's going on situationally in countries where we have students abroad. We work very closely with them on ensuring that if there's a critical situation, all parties are involved in communicating what the needs are, what is the assessment of the situation, and what actions need to be taken on the part of our office. I'm going to take a step back 
because I think we've covered a lot of like how in-depth you are in working with and advocating for the students and getting them involved because that 60 plus percent participation doesn't just happen. It's very intentional. But if there are folks that are listening in right now, and then I'm just going to throw it enough. Let's say that they're five, six percent participation in international education within their student body. What would you want to tell them about their ability to move that level of participation up, get new enrollments, make more of a priority, change the dynamic and the experience of the students and their time with you? What would your advice be for them? You really have to get departmental buy-in. I think that we have tried very hard to work with academic units and create guidance for every single major on campus in terms of working with those academic advisors, what the academic advisors want to see from the students in terms of requirements before they'll be approved to study abroad, what kinds of credit they should be looking to take within their major abroad, and an initial list of programs that if students really don't know where to start in terms of thinking about study abroad, programs that past students have participated in or that departments highly encourage, that doesn't necessarily limit students to only those options, but it's a resource because more and more we're seeing students come and not know where to start. There's so much information you need to help pare it down and process it for them to be consumable. You've done all of your work internally and with the other institutions, you've laid the groundwork so that you can bring it together and say, here, let's make this simple. The amount of overwhelm when they don't know where to start, it sounds like something would be fantastic, part of a college experience that I want to have. What are other factors that help take away that overwhelm or just help them get introduced to it? Are you doing ongoing programs? Are you communicating within the student body that's existing? What are the other things that you're doing just to make it a part of the DNA of American University? We are very careful about tracking the courses that students have taken abroad and how they count for credit here at American University. We've built our own in-house database that shows in the past five years, these are the courses that students have taken abroad. It's very easy without having to go and navigate every single partner's individual course listings, a general idea. What kinds of courses have students taken in the past? And when courses come back for credit here at OU, they are given an AU course number and it doesn't change based on the student. Every course at every institution is given one equivalency. There can be notes on how that equivalency is applied in different areas. But if it was applied as an equivalency for one student, this way, that's how it's applied for students in the future. That's usually the first stepping stone that we use with students to say, if you don't know where to start or academic units, you want to see what kinds of courses within your department students have taken abroad, where they've taken it abroad. They can look at this course equivalency database and get a kind of a clear picture of what students have taken in the past five years. We then also have to work with academic units to clarify that these aren't the only academic options. We can look into more options if an academic unit wants us to. We can help students navigate those particular university listings, course listings. But we really want to show how courses are going to be applied here at AU and keep students on track to graduate. You mentioned something really important is data, because bringing the data 
tells a story, allows you to make decisions, and allows you to represent programs and their success. Tell me a little bit more about the data that you're using. And is that important? Just let us ask that from the very beginning here. Collecting, understanding, and taking silos of data and bringing things together so that you can make the offerings with confidence, know what's been happening, and make decisions. How important is that? Data is important. Data is very important. It helps us track what programs students are interested in. It helps us quantify if somebody comes and says, why don't you have a program here? We can talk about, well, historically, maybe we had programs here. Maybe we didn't have students interested in going there. Or we can talk about, we thought we'd add this partner for this specialty, but it turns out students are taking this specialty at the university. But I will say that you got to take everything with a grain of salt. Because we're trying to make sure that there are options for everyone, not every major is equal. If we only have a major with 20 students, obviously, if we find a program that we think is really good fit for that major, we're not going to see the same numbers as we are with a major that has 100 students. And we also might think that maybe there's a partner we only get a student that goes to every one or two students every semester or a year, but we want to keep it because it's in a strategic location and we want to maintain that relationship and have options for students in that region or that location. We do want to balance the data with making sure that we have the breadth of offerings that we feel best fits the needs of our students. Makes perfect sense. And as I'm listening to all this, I know that there's others that are going to be listening and they're going to be saying, it seems like a lot of work. A small department here. We don't have a lot of resources. What's your recommendation for somebody that's hearing this, that's saying, obviously, this is where we want to go. This is where we want to be. How do we start? What are the things that we need to do, even though we're a small team? Yes, it is a lot of work. We are very fortunate. We have a full-time staff of 10 members. So we are very fortunate to have the staff resources that we do for the number of students that we send abroad. I do think working with smaller numbers, you definitely have to pare down into baby steps. What is your most popular major at your university? Are students studying abroad proportionally to what is the most popular major at your university? If you have a lot of students studying abroad, but not your most popular major, maybe you want to think, is there a way to add an option? for the students in that major. Or maybe we have, we're hitting all of our most popular majors and we're seeing decent student involvement. What are some of the ones that it's harder for students to study abroad? And can we focus on maybe an option, even if it's just one option for program of students that historically you had a hard time with students studying abroad in that major? It doesn't have to be everything all at once. It's taking step by step in terms of assessing where is like the biggest gap that we see in our programming needs? Some universities I've talked with where it's a smaller office, maybe a one-person office, they really only have options in Europe. And that's great because Europe is popular. Not everyone wants to go to Europe. Maybe we need to think about one or two programs outside of Europe that diversifies a little bit where students can go. It doesn't have to be big changes all at once, but identifying even a small gap that you could fill. And then after you fill that small gap, you can fill the next one. So just prioritizing and taking it step by step. You didn't start out, I'm sure, with 10 full-time staff. This is an interesting question because we've already talked about a lot, but what yeah. haven't we talked about creating success that you would want to make sure that you would convey? 
I would just say that in terms of making sure that there are more options from students, I know that a lot of universities, they focus more on cohort programs or faculty-led programs, but adding a couple of direct enroll options at more larger comprehensive universities where students will have more breadth of courses, then you're not just saying we're only adding this partner for this one particular program. Maybe they have a great math program, and that's going to be a good option for your math students. But what other needs can that partner fulfill? They don't have to just fill one need. And if you do direct enroll at larger institutions, that opens up the options for maybe a university that isn't going to be expanding so quickly their university offerings. I like that. You've gone to the work, you've established the re relationship, expand within partners. It's not going to portionally expand the amount of time and resources that you're going to have to put together because you're just making more out of an existing relationship and offering more to your students. It's breadth and depth. You don't necessarily have to have 100 options, but do you have 10 really strong options that offer lots of opportunities for your students? If there was a single takeaway, you said, okay, you're only going to be able to listen to the next minute and a half of what I'm going to say. <laughs> I'm put you on the spot. What would you want everyone to know? The top priority. Top priority. I think that it's making sure that when a student comes to you and wants to study abroad, you're not having to turn them away. Thinking about how you can maximize the programs that you already have, that there can be a pathway for the most amount of students at your university, because there can be nothing more disheartening from a student to come in and be like, I can't study abroad in my major. I really want to go abroad, but I can't. And then the rumor mill is going to go this certain major. You can't study abroad. And that's hard to recover from that. I definitely think it is, again, if you have limited resources, if you have limited program options, making sure that you have programs that can fit more than just one student. So it's fit, I can afford it, and it's going to fit in. I'm going to get credit for it. You just take away all the roadblocks. And then that rumor mill right, is working for you instead of against you. Oh, I love that. I love that. You have hundred programs in 40 different countries, but what would be a well-rounded program if you were starting out and what would be a goal? What would be a target? And how would we think about that? I think more and more universities are offering courses in English, even if they're not in English speaking countries. So that's definitely been something that we've focused on, but having a large comprehensive university that speaks English, even outside of Europe. I definitely think that sometimes there's a lot of focus on Europe because that's what students want or that's what we perceive as students mm. wanting. But there are lots of great options in Asia or Oceania or Africa where the students can take coursework in English and still pick from like the breadth of courses at a full university. Definitely making sure that your entire focus isn't just on your. Can you tell me a story about a student that's gone through your program, you've met with them, they've gone through the application, you've helped them pick the right locations for their major, they've gone to study abroad and they've come back. Tell us from a student perspective what that experience is like, I know it's a hard question, but what's a great story that kind of brings this full circle? 
I think it's always heartening when you have students come back and then they come to you and they're like, well, I had this amazing experience. And now I'm thinking like grad school abroad. What options are there for me to do grad school abroad? And I'm not an advisor who can advise on grad school abroad, but in terms of taking the experience of learning in a different educational style, how that contributes to their own personal learning style and how that changes how they think about learning once they've returned to AU. And it just opens their mind to my next step doesn't have to be limited to just this, what I thought it was before I studied abroad. We have had students who have studied abroad in Ireland or Australia, and then they return and say, I should go do my full graduate degree abroad. And I think that that's just really rewarding to see not only the personal growth, but how they really took from the academic learning experience that they had abroad in a different country. And I could only imagine if you've got 60% plus participation in this, and that's maybe one semester out of four years, but they're back on campus and I guarantee they're talking about their experience. They're sharing that with others. And if there's been an incredibly positive experience, it's affordable, it gives them the credits and they can do it. Is that one of the biggest generators of participation in your program, it feeds on itself that the more success you create, the more success comes on top of that? Absolutely. I think that every time we do a student preview day or a fair and we're at a table, students say, oh, I've heard that study abroad at AU is great. I want to study abroad. That's why I want to come to AU. So students come in wanting to meet with us their first semester of their freshman year, saying, I want to study abroad. How do I make it happen? And at that point, we have to say, right now, your job is just to enjoy AU, get familiar with campus. Do not worry. You will get to study about it. But yeah, I think that it helps that so many students are coming back. They're talking to each other. They're sharing their experiences. Students come in telling us they want to pick a location because they heard other students in their major saying this was a great program for their major. They had such an amazing time there. They want to go there too. That's definitely beneficial, but there's always room for growth. I don't want to say we don't have 100% participation in study abroad, and I don't want to take that for granted. There are always more students that can be reached. There are always more students that aren't going to self-identify and come to us in terms of study abroad. And so we will always have more work to do to try to encourage those students to study abroad. And what I love about that last statement is that even at these 60 plus percent participation rates, you're looking at there's still more opportunity. And as universities, that looking at enrollment declines and you're sitting at unbelievable levels, but there's still more. So what you're basically saying is there's an untapped opportunity. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but would you agree that's one of the reasons why international education should be a top priority for all higher education universities? Because there is almost limitless opportunity for them to be growing and to bring it in and make it a part of the DNA of that university. Absolutely. You don't want to assume you're always meeting everyone's needs. If you assume that, oh, we've been doing this forever, it's okay, we don't have to do any more work, we're really doing a disservice to students. We're really doing a disservice to the university in terms of enhancing the experience they have at AU and their academic experience and what they're learning and their growth over their four years. But you don't want to become 
apathetic. You want to always stay engaged. You want to always think about how you can do better. That's an outlook how great we are at AU. That's a servant leader mentality. If we do what's right for the students, then the program will run. If there are additional follow-on questions that people have, would it be appropriate that we provide maybe a link to your LinkedIn profile or how would somebody best get a hold of you? They can email me. My, my email is my last name, Nod, N as in Nancy, A-G-Y at American.edu. And I'm always happy to talk to our colleagues and learn about how study abroad works at different universities. We have our way that we do it at AU. It's not always the right fit for everyone, but it's always beneficial to hear about how other people do it and pick up tips and ideas. Even if they don't work at your university, it helps you understand the field better. Allison, thank you very much for coming on and sharing all of your insights with us. It's been fantastic. Thank you for having me.